I want you to go ahead and take your Bible. I want you to turn to John's Gospel, chapter 19. Now, last week, we looked at John chapter 18, verses 28 to 40. And the title of the message was, The King on Trial. Well, today's message is The King on Trial, part two. It's like this first trial before Pilate uh, dealt with one major issue. And then this second trial before Peter, or the second half of that trial, is very interesting indeed. That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at chapter 19. And I want to encourage you to take your Bible and follow along. Before we do, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're excited about your son. We're excited, Father, about Easter. We're excited about moving as a church Sunday by Sunday toward Easter Sunday, where we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray today, Lord, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what we need to see and hear about the trial of Jesus before Pilate. And I pray, Lord, that you would do a wonderful work in all of our hearts. We love you and we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week, in the sermon in John chapter 18, verses 28 to 40, we, we ask a question, who's your king? Who's your king? Well, the, the statement that I want to lock in your heart today is not only the one from last week, who's your king? But today, the statement I want you to really bore into is this, choose your king wisely choose your king wisely. Interestingly, at the end of chapter 18, uh, Pilate wanted to give the, the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people a choice. He would either release Jesus to them, their, uh, the one who claimed to be the king of the Jews, or, or he would release Barabbas to them, a criminal, an insurrectionist, a murderer, he would release one to them, and they chose, listen, they chose Barabbas. And that really threw Pilate into a, a, a tailspin, and, and he had to go back. He thought for sure they would want Jesus, but they didn't. And, and so we come to the second part uh, of this trial, and as I got to thinking about trials. You know, trials can be fascinating, I, I remember the trial of O.J. Simpson. Do you remember that? I mean, that was a spectacle in and of itself, right? You had judge and jury. You had the defense team. You had the prosecuting team. You had right versus wrong, good versus evil. It was like a, a theater-type atmosphere in that courtroom every single day. You know, that, tri that trial really changed some things here in America. And, and a, a, a big trial can do that. It can literally change history. Today, I want us to focus on the trial of Jesus that literally changed the history 
of the human race. I'm talking about a, a trial that Jesus went through. Now listen, actually Jesus went through six trials. Three of those trials were religious in nature, carried out by Caiaphas and Annas and the, the Sanhedrin. And three of those trials were civil trials carried out before Pilate two times and by Herod one time. And actually, uh, we need to get something straight before we move any further into the message today. Jesus was and is the sinless son of God. Jesus was totally innocent. But although he was innocent, the Jewish high priest and the Sanhedrin hated him and wanted him to be executed. They wanted to rid themselves and rid the land of Israel of this upstart Jesus of Nazareth. Pilate told the Jewish leaders that he could find no guilt in Jesus. In fact, he told them that at least three times, three times he said, I find no guilt in him. But yet, we read in chapter 19, verse 1, these words. Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. What an economy of words for such brutality that was meted out to the Lord Jesus Christ there in Jerusalem at the Praetorium. Even though Pilate had pronounced Jesus not guilty. He sought to maneuver around the Jewish adversaries by having Jesus scourged. You know what he thought? He thought, look, surely if I scourge him, if I have him beaten to within an inch, inch of his life and I bring him, bring him out, the Jewish leaders will have pity on him. They will have a, a bit of mercy on him and, and I can set him free. But what does it mean to be scourged? A Roman scourge had a, a wooden handle on it. And from that handle, there was attached leather straps. And at the end of all of those straps, there were little pieces of sharp bone or, or metal of some type. And the Roman soldiers were excellent torturers. They knew how to do what they needed to do. And they would take the one being scourged and they would bring him to a pillar and, and they would tie him to the pillar so that his back is stretched tight. He can't move. He can't, he can't brace for the licks that's coming. And, and the Roman soldier would take the whip and he would bring it down across the back of the one being scourged and he would rip it down and, and it would rip into the flesh of the person being scourged. The body of the one being scourged could be so torn and lacerated that muscles and bones and veins and even internal organs could be exposed. Many a people who were scourged by Roman soldiers died before they were ever crucified. But Jesus endured the scourging. Isaiah prophesied 
that the Jewish Messiah would face this kind of treatment approximately 700 years before Jesus was ever incarnated into the human race. In Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, Isaiah wrote, Surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. Listen, here's what Isaiah wrote 700 years before, this time, before Jesus was scourged. Isaiah wrote, and by his scourging, we are healed. Listen, if for no other reason... I believed in the truthfulness of the word of God. It would be based upon the fact of fulfilled prophecies, prophecies like this. 700 years before this event, Isaiah prophesied that it would occur. So this beating was a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Now I want you to look at verses 2 and 3 of John chapter 19. The Bible says, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a purple robe on him. And they began to come up to him and say, hail king of the Jews and to give him slaps in the face. To make matters worse, these Roman soldiers took the severely beaten Jesus and carried out a mock coronation for this one who claimed to be the king of the Jews. They fashioned a crown of thorns. A king has to have a crown, right? So they fashioned a crown of thorns. Many believe that these are are very long thorns, and then they rammed that crown of thorns down upon the, the precious bow of the Lord Jesus Christ. They gave him a kingly robe and sarcastic gestures of devotion. Then they repeatedly came up to Jesus and they slapped him in the face. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, you'll discover that God pronounced judgment on Adam because of the sin he had committed. And part of that judgment affected the planet that we call earth in fact that prophecy that 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 uh, passage in genesis 3 says god says to him the ground will be cursed and thorns would be prevalent in the fallen world so it was only fitting that the savior would wear a crown of thorns as he bore the curse of human sins on the cross of calvary In John 19, verses 4 and 5, the Bible says, Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Over and over, Pilate says, he's he's guiltless. He's innocent. I find no guilt in him. Verse 5, then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, behold the man. Bleeding from his scourging. 
and the crown of thorns, his face bruised and swollen from being slapped repeatedly by the soldier. Jesus looked like anything but a king. Pilate hoped this beaten, pathetic figure would engender some mercy and some pity out of the hearts of, of Caiaphas, the high priest, and the Sanhedrin, and the, his cronies among the Jewish religious leaders. But that didn't happen. Look at verses 6 and 7. So when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, crucify, crucify. And you ask yourself, how could anybody be so hard-hearted? Caiaphas knew all of the great things that Jesus had done. He knew about the miraculous healings. He knew about the compassion, such compassion that Jesus would say to a group of religious leaders who wanted to stone a woman caught in the very act of adultery, he would say to them, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And they all walked away. And Jesus looked at the woman and said, where are your accusers? They're gone, Lord. And Jesus said to this woman, caught in the very act of adultery, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Caiaphas knew about all this. He knew about the compassion of Christ. He knew about his teaching. He knew that he had taken a few loaves and a few fish and fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. And yet his heart was so hard when he saw Jesus beaten within an inch of his life, mocked and ridiculed by Roman soldiers, he led the group to say, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate was sort of outdone with them, and he said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and by that law he ought to die because he made himself out to be the son of God. Listen, he didn't just make himself out to be the son of God. He was the son of God. And this got Pilate's attention quickly. In verses 8 through 10, we read, Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, that he made himself out to be the son of God, when he heard this statement, he was even more afraid. You see, Jesus had gotten to Pilate. He had never seen a man come before him with such dignity, with such poise and a heart of compassion. He had never been in the presence of anyone like Jesus of Nazareth. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, where are you from? 
But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Like many Romans, Pilate was very superstitious. The thought that Jesus might be a God or a son of a God filled him with fear. Why, if that were the case, he just had a son of a God or a God scourged, beaten within an inch of his life, and he might exact vengeance upon Pilate and his family. And he was scared. Fueling Pilate's superstitious fear was also a dream that his wife had. Matthew's gospel tells us about this. In Matthew 27, 19, the Bible says, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man for last night. I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. Was Jesus from the realm of the gods? Now, Jesus had already told him in chapter 18, verses 36 and 37, that, that his kingdom was from another realm. But the silence of the Lamb of God was deafening to Pilate. By the way, this silence was prophesied by Isaiah also. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, Isaiah writing 700 years before this event, wrote this, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. Pilate was insulted by the silence of Jesus. Did he not know who he was? Did he not understand the authority that Pilate wielded? Did he, not, <clears throat> did he not understand that Pilate had the authority to have him crucified or Pilate had the authority to set him free? That's when Jesus corrected Pilate. In, in verse 11, Jesus finally spoke, and here's what he said. Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Pilate did not have ultimate control over the destiny of the Son of God. God was in total control of everything that was happening in all of these series of events that was occurring. But Caiaphas was more guilty than Pilate. You say, why? Pastor, I thought every sin was the same. Jesus said that Pilate's, that Caiaphas's sin was more grievous than the sin of Pilate. Why? Because Caiaphas knew all about Jesus. He had sent spies all over Galilee and, and, and Judea to, to spy out what Jesus was doing. He, he got word of the, the fantastic teaching of Jesus. He got word of the miracles of Jesus. He got word of all the, the compassionate things that Jesus had done. He knew about Jesus, but he was so envious and so jealous 
that he wanted Jesus dead. And Jesus said that Caiaphas was more guilty than Pilate and that Caiaphas would pay a higher price than Pilate. Look at verse 12. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. Over and over in this entire saga of Pilate bringing Jesus to trial, over and over we hear that Pilate is trying to set Jesus free because he believed deep in his heart that he's innocent. So he made efforts to release him, but the Jews cried out saying, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Now Pilate changed his tune when the Jews played their trump card. When they said, look, you're no friend of Caesar if you don't do what we want you to do with this one who claims to be a king. And Pilate had to make sure that he was seen as a friend of Caesar. Otherwise, he could lose his position. Or even worse, he could lose his life. Because Tiberius Caesar was a wicked, vile man, a, a, a man who would have your head just like that, a snap of a finger. Now, Pilate was married to the Caesar's granddaughter, but that would only do him good as long as he was seen as a friend of Caesar. Look at verse 13 through 16. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now, it was a day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold, your king. So they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he handed them, him over to them, to the soldiers, to be crucified. Now Pilate was taunting the Jews here. This was his way of mocking them suggesting that this beaten, bloody, helpless man was all the king they deserved as, Jew, as the Jews. And they were enraged. Away with him. Away with him. We will not have Jesus as our king. Crucify him. Crucify him. The Passover Sabbath would begin at sundown that day, that Friday. Good Friday. We call it Good Friday. 
The, relig the religious leaders wanted their Messiah killed on that high and holy day. In a chilling act of blatant hypocrisy and blasphemy, the Jewish high priest and the leaders we have said, we have no king but Caesar. I'll tell you, now listen to me very carefully. That decision changed history for the Jewish people. Until 1948, the Jewish people were subjected to inferior Gentile kings who ruled over them and treated them horribly. In 1948, I believe it was May 14th, 1948, the Jewish nation became a nation again. So for approximately 2,000 years, the Jewish people were under the iron heels of Gentile leaders. And now they're a nation. But soon, listen, soon, a revived Roman Empire will spring into existence. It's coming. It's already happening as we speak. A king will enter the picture and he will appear to be the one who has all the answers for all the world, especially the Jewish people. And the Jewish people will follow him. But he will turn against them and do them great harm. His name is the Antichrist. At the end of the seven-year tribulation period, the Lord Jesus will come and the Jewish people will finally believe in their messianic king. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. Zechariah prophesies, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. And the Jewish people will realize that they murdered their Messiah. But they're going to turn to him. And in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9, the Bible says, And the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one, and his name the only one. What should we learn from all of this? Here, here's what we better do. Choose your king wisely. Choose your king wisely. You say, well, pastor, like the Jews, I, I would rather have Caesar as my king. Now, obviously, there's not a, a Roman Caesar right now, but it, it's, a, it, it's a, a picture of the world. Pastor, I would rather... Devote myself to my sport. Pastor, I would rather devote myself to pleasure. I would rather devote myself to my career. I would rather devote myself to my education. I would rather devote myself, and you fill in the blank. And I'll tell you, anything you put in that blank other than the name of Jesus is your Caesar. Choose your king wisely. Wisely. 
It's interesting. In verse 40 of chapter 18, the Jewish people chose Barabbas instead of Jesus. And then here in chapter 19, they chose Caesar instead of Jesus. I want to share with you three reasons you should choose Jesus as your king. Three reasons. Number one, because of who he is. Because of who he is. Contrary to the assumptions of the Jewish high priest and his entourage, Jesus didn't just claim to be the son of God. He was the son of God. John made this crystal clear in his gospel account. If you read the gospel of John from beginning to end, you'll notice that over and over and over again, John makes the point that Jesus of Nazareth was the son of God. He is the son of God. In John three sixteen, John wrote, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten what? Son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. In John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31, the purpose of the entire gospel is written here by John. And he said, therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. I don't know about you, but I want a king who came from heaven. I don't want a king who was born down here. I want a king who will expand his kingdom to include the entire world, the entire universe. I want a king who will rule in that kingdom forever and ever and ever. And I want a king who will invite me to be a part of that kingdom with him and allow me to reign with him, as it says in Revelation chapter 22. Isn't that the kind of king you want? I tell you, you should shoot Jesus as your king because of who he is. Secondly, you should choose him as your king because of what he suffered. The son of God was deprived of sleep. He was rejected and despised by the Jewish religious leaders. They lied about his character. They lied about his mission. They lied about his ministry. They hit him. They mocked him. They treated him like a common criminal. And they conducted three illegal trials and ended up accusing him of blasphemy because he claimed to be the son of God, which he was. They turned him over to Pilate because they wanted him to be executed. You see, the Romans did not allow the Jews to, to have the right of execution. So if they wanted him gone, they had to turn him over to the civil authorities under the leadership of Pilate to get that death sentence that they were clamoring for so strongly. And the Romans treated him horribly. We read about the scourging, the crown of thorns, the robe, the mock coronation, the beating and the ridicule. Jesus was suffering for our sins so that we would not have to face the wrath of God. I, I want to choose a king who will go through all of that so that I could be saved. 
I want to choose a king who would go through all of that so that my sins could be forgiven and separated from me as far as the east is from the west. I want to choose a king like that who will give me the gift of eternal life and abundant life here and now. That's the kind of king I want. Isn't that the kind of king you want? Choose your king wisely. You should choose Jesus. I say that unashamedly. You should choose Jesus because of who he is, because of what he suffered, and because of how he cares. Jesus cares so much for you. When you suffer, he sympathizes with you. Did you know that? He's not a detached God. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father right now. And, and unlike Caiaphas, who was an evil, godless high priest in Judaism, Jesus is your high priest, and he's the best high priest you could ever have. The Bible says of him in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, therefore, since we have a great high priest, he's a great high priest, church, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, now listen, the Son of God, there it is again, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Are you suffering physically? Are you? Maybe you have cancer. Maybe you have a heart condition. Maybe you're suffering from some other kind of physical abnormality. Listen, I need you to know that Jesus suffered physically to a degree that we could never understand. He knows what you're going through. And he honestly and truthfully cares about you. He sympathizes with your physical suffering. Now get this. Not only does he sympathize with your physical suffering, he has the power to help you to endure your physical suffering and win a victory over it. Are you suffering emotionally? Maybe you've been rejected. Maybe you've been mocked. Or if you, you've experienced some form of abuse. Listen, nobody's been abused like Jesus was abused. Nobody's been mocked the way Jesus was mocked. Nobody's been rejected the way Jesus has been rejected. Isaiah prophesied about Jesus in Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised. I, I just want you to, to think about the fact that if you're suffering emotionally from what, for whatever reason, Jesus understands what you're going through. He sympathizes with you. And he is the one and only king who can carry you through your suffering and bring you out the other side. He's that kind of king. 
I don't know about you. I, I want a king that when I am grieving in my heart over the loss of a loved one. I, I want a king who understands. I want a king who's been there. I want a king who has the power to really help me in a tangible way. I, I don't know about you. If I'm ridiculed and, and mocked for whatever reason or rejected for whatever reason, I want a king who understands. I want a king who can get right here in my life, really real in my life and help me get through that time in my life. That's the kind of king I want. And Jesus is that king. So I say it again to you today. Choose your king wisely. The Jewish people have been suffering for over 2,000 years because they chose Caesar instead of the Messiah. And here's the thing about it. You need to understand that if you choose another Caesar instead of King Jesus for you, you can suffer for all of eternity, separated from him in a devil's hell. Hey, I want to invite you today. If you've never repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus, I want to invite you today to turn to Jesus. Turn from your Caesar, whatever your Caesar may be, Turn from your Barabbas and turn to the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin. Place your faith in him as your personal Lord and Savior. Listen, next week, we're going to keep going in chapter 19 and we come to the crucifixion of the Son of God. Jesus was willing to die for our sins. Jesus assumed our guilt on the cross of Calvary so that we could be forgiven and set free. And we'd never have to worry about facing the wrath of God. And that Jesus, that King is offering you salvation today. Won't you come to him? Won't you say today, I want Jesus as my King.